Okay, another week, another podcast. We are back once again. That is the start of a really bad 90s rave song. But we are not talking about rave music this week. We are talking about new bikes. A couple of weeks ago, some new bikes were released to the public, announced, specs given, details given of firstly the Harley Davidson and then secondly the KTM 1290 Adventure R. And they are both really interesting bikes. They came out almost identically at the same time. And the, there's so much to talk about with those two bikes. I decided that this week's podcast should be about something a little bit different. And we dove into all of the information surrounding those bikes, what we think about them, what's going to be good, how interesting it is that Harley have completely changed direction as a company and have entered a sphere and a market where they haven't existed before, aiming at a customer base that they've never aimed at. All of that is really, really interesting to me as a motorcycle journalist. And so I sat down with my dad, Cy Pavey, and we talked about it for just over an hour. I hope you enjoy it. I had a really good time as always talking about these things i get very excited about them so yeah uh i will leave you with the podcast simon's dulcet tones and i'll see you at the end okay after the success of our last internet of things episode where we talked about things that we'd read on the internet I thought we'd do this again. So a few things have happened in the last few weeks that are quite interesting and worth talking about. But before we get there, I had a comment on YouTube the other day. And sometimes when I get these comments, I don't really know what to say because it's hard to explain it in words written down when you need to have discourse about it. And it was about the weight of motorbikes and picking them up and how you should never do you know like picking a bike up once isn't the problem picking it up multiple times is the problem and it got me thinking about whether really the issue is that like you need a requisite amount of fitness and strength to ride off-road or we should just like ignore that problem and solve it by choosing different bikes discuss that was like a point of discussion, not a, I, you know, I wasn't just going to rant for 20 minutes. No, not at all. Well, we do that bit separately. <laughs> no, it was just interesting because we were talking about it and I was like, well, you know, actually the weight of picking up, I tried to explain it in the comment, like actually the weight of picking up even quite a heavy bike. It's not that heavy. If you measure, like we've done it, we did it on a set of scales in a gym and we did the maths at some point in the past for an article I wrote. And the, the weight of picking a 1250 GS up, which is one of the heavier adventure bikes on the market, even I suppose it doesn't fall over quite as far, but the weight of picking it up is not that heavy. It's, what was it? it on the scales, it was like 78 or 80 kilos or something deadlift yeah, equivalent. It kind of as... But it exactly. gets easier as it goes up because the angle lessens. So, all right, it's heavy. That's heavy, but it's not unreasonably heavy to you know as someone that spent some time in a gym the the reasonable expectation is that most people quite quickly can naturally achieve the point where they can lift their own body weight off the ground in in a one movement situation and it's very reasonable for anyone who puts some effort in to get to the point where they can reach like one and a half times their body weight without really trying that hard your our human bodies are very good at that so unless you weigh 
even if you're a 50 kilo person, you can probably pick up most bikes. But obviously then the question of like repeating that process is is there. Oh, someone forgot to turn their phone off. So as someone that teaches people on a regular basis and has kind of gone through a transition of not being able to do that so much due to injury and then being able to do it again, how, how do you... How do you sit on that? Do you think this is one of those things where people just need to sort their their fitness and strength out? Or do you think it is a case of like, what do you think? Um, that's a great question. That is a great question. I I think there's, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of both in there, isn't there? No question. There's a little bit of both for sure. It's, uh, it's not nice picking up a bike that's... Um, kind of near your limit i guess you know that, that's probably the experience that i've had in the last couple of three years because obviously I, I you know i never had any problem picking up a, a gs i won't say they weren't heavy and they were difficult but with you know with good technique um it's not something that was difficult for me to pick up until you know i was obviously went through this period where i had these kind of um uh injury not injuries, but, you know, long-term wear and tear on the body type injury problems. Well, injuries as well. Um, and, you know, there was definitely a period there where, like, it was, I could still pick it up, good technique, no problem. I could always pick it up. But there was there was definitely a point there where there was, like, a little bit of stress involved in that for me of worrying about going backwards with my kind of injury improvement, rehab, fitness improvement, setting it back through making a little mistake with technique or it being a bit close to to um you know to what i could lift so yeah for sure it's like kind of a bit of both really isn't there there's definitely there's definitely we all want to have as light as possible bike as we can have but like with all motorcycling there's compromise isn't there and the beauties of adventure bikes these days is all the the other pluses that come with them having that lovely big sweet multi-cylinder engine or even with a single you know big engine that that's cruisy on the motorway or cruisy on the road and you know, all those great compromises that come with adventure motorcycling and one of the compromises that you have with that is that they are heavier they're not a they're not a you know cg125 posty bike on the other sort of end of the extreme you want a light bike you can go and get one of those but it ain't going to be any fun on the motorway so you know, this is the discussion that we always have about it. You know, with a with a big twelve hundred cc twin cylinder engine, there's always going to be some weight. Um, yeah, and then that's the compromise. But you can, you know, you can help. You can definitely help yourself enjoy that compromise more by taking that little bit of stress out of your riding by coming a becoming a bit fitter and a bit stronger. And I'd say that's sort of like true of every part of your motorcycling experience you know it, it, as you become more confident and you grow as a rider um you know i always feel like you get more enjoyment you know that enjoyment grows with your riding hmm. because you take stress out of it and the you know that that like that weight power balance is sort of like the stress fun balance a little bit as well you know yeah. when the stress goes the fun comes and when the fun comes the stress goes you know they're they're things that work hand in hand and um 
you know that that's why also like we talk about it quite a bit lately is like sometimes with people's motorcycling journey when you come into motorcycling there is a little bit of a you know a little bit of a, a kind of path to follow there with the kind of motorcycle that's appealing to you as your riding changes a little bit as well mm. and what you want to do with bikes change so well that, i literally when i was i was kind of cruising uh i was cruising uh one of the many adventure bike forums i forget which one they all sort of blend into one in my head um, and there was exactly that question posed is someone learned to ride on a 125 in a foreign country did their cbt and was like i want to get a gs but which one should i get because they scare me because i'm tiny and i was like oh this is interesting it's always an interesting conversation to to go down that path like we did last time when we talked about that kind of balance of choosing beginner bikes. Because in the in the comments then someone was like, Well, little bikes aren't beginner bikes and you know, it comes full circle back around to what we were talking about last time. Um and hey, I, you know, we, we we've been riding motorbikes for a long time and it's one of the, the the great things every year you sit there and go what bike would i like next and you have that conversation in your own head even when you know what all your choices are it's kind of mm. it's kind of one of the difficult things but it's kind of one of the fun things to sit there and work out what's what's the right bike for you and the type of riding you're doing now in this point in your life and what's the aspirational bike and what's the you know, what's the riding you're doing now and what's the aspirational riding you want to do mm. and you know when you talk about that and back to the fitness thing then you know you, you match those up a little bit as well isn't it and if all you're bothered about is riding to the chippy to buy another bag of chips and you don't care what that what the impact of that is then that's also great fun and, and, a, and a great thing to do but if your aspiration is to go and do Dakar rally then you know the, being fit and strong becomes more important than what bike you've chosen a little bit you know yeah and those, those things are the important decisions of yeah what do you aspire to do with your riding a little bit i think and then if you want to go touring in europe then you don't want to you know it's more enjoyable you know i won't say you can't do it or you wouldn't want to do it but you know there's an argument that that's more enjoyable on a big adventure bike um but the compromise is it's a little bit heavy when you lay it down and you might have to pick it up so you know, maybe maybe getting yourself a little bit stronger is like part of that journey that you go on to get the most out of the the ride that you want to do, and that can be fun. That mm. like that, you know, when we if we've gone racing, especially with something like Dakar, like ironically, it's almost not the race that's fun. The journey to get there, the prepping and the you know the story, the all the stuff that you do. To build up to go there is is often the most fun bit. And I thought you were about to say the getting, journey of the race was the fun bit, as in like the liaison. We were about to have a strong <laughs> discussion about what your idea of fun is. Well, <laughs> I am a little bit weird. I do quite like a good long liaison, <laughs> no, and it's an interesting conversation for me as well. Like as someone that you know answers a lot of youtube comments and tries to you know I, I try to engage with that in quite a positive way most of the time sometimes you have to be a little bit sarcastic with people because they're annoying um but you you i try to be quite balanced and and considerate of people's positions and their stances on things and it was the comment was one of those things where i was like i don't really know how to answer this because a little bit i'm in a bit of a privileged position with this i i didn't you know obviously i started riding dirt bikes quite young and i wasn't always a particularly tall person i didn't really grow until i was like a late teenager to be like 
a full-size adult that's my memory of it anyway you might be like no you're always enormous but I I remember when I was like in school I wasn't that big in high school um but now I'm six foot two and like for me deadlifting a hundred kilos is is not a difficult process like there's no there's no bike out there that I don't think I could pick up in a flat car park without it and it not be stressful do you know if and that's quite a natural thing do you know so for me to be oh well you should just get a bit stronger is not really that fair because i haven't had to do anything to get that strong do you know it's just that's the natural size i am so it's interesting because i also think if you asked me to pick a gs up 20 times in a row i could probably do that and it wouldn't really like it would be hard but it wouldn't stress my body out because i'm also only 30 i'm not like 55 and have been sedentary for a long time and just discovered motorcycling it's a no, really and, and, different conversation know, that, that's also that's it's also definitely like part of the story because it, you know it's the same as we always talk about the, the the bigger problem with picking a bike up is is not a strength it's not out of strength like there's definitely technique technique mm. the balance of of what helps you be able to pick up a big heavy bike is like weighted on technique but it's the same thing it takes it takes a lot of effort and a lot of time to get that technique right like we've seen it with you know with with um i always kind of dump back on jenny a little bit but jenny you know the instructs for us he's only five foot two like it it took her you know she had to really make sure she got all her technique right because she is only little um you know to be able to to pick a gsa up and and your mum the same you know um they, you know, they can pick those bikes up, but they've, they've spent quite a lot of time working out um, the technique. And so that takes time and effort as well. And, and so, of course, the, you know, the easier, less stressful solution is to go on a light bike. There's no question about that. I'm not definitely not belittling that. And the same point, I'm not saying just get stronger and just spend, you know, 200 hours learning to pick the bike up better because at the end of the day, that is valuable. And it can be part of the journey that you want to go on to get better at picking your bike up and spend the time to do it. But it does take time. And probably most of us would rather just be out riding in that time, not practicing picking the bike up. So like, that's a choice as well. Mm. But yeah. And, and, but they are solutions, you know, there's, there's solutions there and that is get better. You know, easy, very easy one off thing to say, isn't it? Get just better. be better. Yeah. Get better, get stronger, buy yeah. a light bike. All those three things are easy throwaway lines to put in a one in a in a YouTube comment for sure, and they're all correct. But they're but reductive, like, and that was why I didn't exactly, say anything because yeah. I was like, well, it, it, it's the right thing to say, and we all know that I, on a personal level, I like to tell people what they should be doing. No, you do like to be right, <laughs> but, but it's like it's a little bit reductive and a little bit like short-sighted of the problem because, as I said, I'm not like. I'm not average in, in any of that. Well, my strength level is average, but do you know, it's not, uh, it's only average for my size. So, and, and kind of is interesting because when we, the other thing that when, you know, when we talk about weight of bike, it's quite interesting because of that as well. I never go through a process where I'm like, I don't want to ride that big bike because I can't pick it up. It's always that bike feels too heavy. Do you know, it's like a really, I have a really different relationship with that to, to maybe how other people do. You know, when you, when you come to riding adventure bikes or dirt bikes and you ride them off road, I go through this process of what weight means to me is very much how it feels to ride, not 
how it feels when I have to drag it off the floor. Like, yeah. I, I, and maybe it's just because that's what I care about, but I don't, I don't care if it's heavy to pick up. Like a GS is heavy to pick up. A GSA is enormous to pick up. I understand that. But what I care about is, does it ride heavy? And then, do you know, the factors that affect that are pretty much uh, are 50% how much it weighs and 50% how it handles. It kind of segues nicely, like into obviously most people that are watching this podcast at some point will be aware that the Harley Davidson adventure bike was finally launched a, week, a few days ago. We watched the the launch video together, didn't we? The half hour launch video, and it was really interesting because when I uh, I was quite lucky to have some conversation with the press department for Harley in the UK. They phoned me up about something, and they were really excited about it. They're like, "It's lighter than a GS. It's this and it's that." And I watched the video, and I was like, "It doesn't look light, though." Do you know? And there's a really big difference. We I think we talked about this in the last podcast as well that. It's 245 wet for the normal model, a little bit more for the, I, I've, I've got it written down here in my, my article that we published on the website. They do a Pan American special, which I imagine just comes with all the adventure things, but that's 258 wet, which is very close to a GSA. There's similar sort of weights, you know, but when you watch the video of it, it looks like the thing is like, gravity is affecting it hard do you know not in a bad way but like it looks like a like a v-strom looks if you jump a v-strom it looks like the whole thing is just wants to be on the ground whereas if you jump you watch the 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 same time the launch video for the 1290 super adventure comes out literally one day apart worlds well i mean we'll get onto that in a minute but when you watch that video and chris birch riding that bike and he does a pretty big jump off a rock and the thing looks like a different bike, do you know, just a different stratosphere of, even though they probably weigh so, about the same, right? Yeah, I suppose the, well, the, the point the point that you just made, like I, I actually don't even know what the brochure weight of a GS is anyway. 249. So there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so no, but it just kind of underlines that conversation really, isn't it? I don't actually know what that weight is. I don't know what the difference exact differences between that and a gs and yeah you know when we when we've been testing the other big adventure bikes it's like i kind of don't really care what they say it's in the brochure i want to ride it and see what it feels like mm. i think it's you know it's a bigger thing so yeah harley you know they're if, if that's their kind of main driving marketing thing that we're four kilos lighter than a gs i'm like I, I, I think I think they'd ride it, but the video, like you said, the the, the launch video, it was beautiful. It's like watching. Uh, I didn't think it was anything to do with a motorcycle launch. To be honest, <laughs> it's the single best launch it's video I've ever seen. Yeah, it's the single best video, uh, like from a launch I've ever watched. It was a masterpiece. It was super cheesy in places. I posted it on the website, the full half hour thing. If you haven't watched it over your lunch break sit down have a watch it's cheesy as hell but it's so well done like the production level there is no way that didn't cost less than a million pounds to make you and, know uh, hollywood stars i mean there's some bold claims in there about uh about uh 
how they single-handedly uh, turned everyone from horse riders into motorcyclists. Uh, I, well, <laughs> and I mean, invented invented adventure motorcycling. There's some definitely some bold claims, but uh, but it's a good watch. Well, I, it was one of those things that I, I think up until about six months ago, I had no idea that that was kind of part of the reason that Harley are the way they are. Like I, I, I watched a, a video by Fortnite, the Canadian dude. I'm sure you've yeah. seen it, haven't you? Yeah. Um, and he did one, uh, which was like a kind of common, I mean, his videos are always abstract, aren't they? But it was like a commentary on basically why Harley have been outpaced by Indian in so many areas of like the same type of bike in you know they basically their core market is that same that same essential customer the scout and the i don't know even know what they call harleys i'm not a harley person not a harley fan in any way obviously um but it was quite interesting because in that he talks massively about how harley's heritage and their their addiction their their desire to stick by their heritage and you know uh portray that american made we do it this way it's old school it's classic like we stick by we've still got push rods and it's 2021 that kind of mantra on things has totally hamstrung them because when you oil cool a bike and you've got push rods you can only make it so good do you know that it's old technology no one uses it anymore apart from harley uh and then do you know i I never realized that their relationship with their fan base was so tied into making shit bikes. <laughs> I, I thought it was just, that was just the way they did things because they did it that way. I didn't realize there was so much connection between it. And, and when you watch that video, it like, it just comes across really clear to me that that video was not, that was not for us. That wasn't for us explaining to us as adventure bike or dirt bike people or street bike people why Harley are making an adventure bike. I think we all know that. It it was so clearly just about convincing Harley people that they have the right to make something better than a push rod air cooled lump of crap with shit brakes. Do, <laughs> do you know? <laughs> it was it was though, wasn't but it? When you watch it anyway. <laughs> No, but you, 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 I, I haven't ridden many Harleys to be biased. I, I'm going off the things that I've read other journalists say about them or the general opinion of people outside of Harley love. I think even if you ask Harley lovers, they're probably like, oh, yeah, the brakes are shit, but I love my Harley, do you know? Um, yeah. Because people don't buy Harleys because they're good. They buy them because they like them, really. Like if you were going to buy a good bike, you would probably buy whatever the BMW or the Honda equivalent is. Do you know? I don't know what those are either. Yeah. I'm not a cruiser person, but you know, you want good brakes, you buy a bike with Brembo brakes probably for a start, which is quite interesting because this Harley has Brembo. But and it is just you know, as I started to dive into this more, I put a little feature. I found it quite interesting. I put a little feature up on the the website, and I went and read a bunch of the stuff that was in. The press release they did a whole press release about the engine like it, this isn't i think this is a much bigger deal for harley than we realize as non-harley people um yeah and it was just I, that whole video being tied around trying to convince the existing fan base that they have the right for this really tenuous link to someone taking a cruiser off-road in 1907 because you, do you, I mean, you should, I'm sure you've seen the Harley Davidson 
British army bikes as well, without a doubt. Yeah. They were used by the British army in enduros. For years. They're terrible. They're not off-road bikes. I know they well, claim they, that they were, but yeah. they're terrible. They were like the awful bikes. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, they basically bought the, the sort of old stock off um, CCM Armstrong, didn't they, and rebadged them as Harleys. That's kind of what they were. And, and it was one of those things where, you know, that CCM Armstrong bike that was made for the Army, um, they, when they were then turned into Harley Davidson's like 20 years ago and by nothing, had, you know, they hadn't changed anything on that bike and the whole motorcycle industry had moved on. 30 years in that 20 years mm. um and and yeah so that it was like i say it was a proper off-road bike but it kind of wasn't really it was you know well past its its time but um yeah british army guys still love them now <laughs> well because they don't break down like okay but but yeah. also that's not that really the point they weren't harleys they were actually <laughs> ctm armstrongs with a harley badge so the so. other the other side of this as well is I dug a little bit. It didn't take made, when I say made in, dug. Made in, made, in Brit, made in Britain, American bikes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was quite intrigued as well by the whole Jason Momoa thing, because obviously I don't have any association with him being a bike person. Um, and I dug, when I say dug, I mean, I opened three Googled. different tabs on Google <laughs> and started reading articles, but he's a Harley ambassador on the like traditional Harley side as well. He loves that kind of culture. And it's like another little thing where they've obviously gone, okay, he's our way of convincing, like he's cool in this world. If we put him over here and he's into it, we can we can bridge that gap a bit more, which is just really interesting to me that they, they have to do that so hard. I don't see any other manufacturer who have been so hamstrung by their their current existence that they can't change without it being a monumental life choice. Like it, it, that's what it feels like to me is like Harley have just got to the point where they're like, man, we got to do something different. And, and I think the end result as well. I mean, I'm sure you're, you have it. it it's weird looking, but I'm kind of impressed. Do you know? Yeah. Well, weird looking in itself isn't, an issue is it it's just always like it's one of those things when you know we we kind of go the other way as well don't we when you know when uh when other manufacturers have come out and uh come with their first adventure bikes and it's just looked like a gs with a you know slight adjustment and then everyone's like oh look they've just copied so at least harley's trying to put their own style and their own take on it mm. um so yeah looking weird and looking different i've kind of got no issue with really but um yeah, it's just I it is super interesting. Like it's obviously great that um, you know more and more people are, are jumping on, like you know, on adventure motorcycling, and, and and you know if it brings if it brings more people into you know I'm not, any anything that's always going to open the door for more people to come into motorcycling and to like enjoy more the breadth of motorcycling then like that's a, that's a positive thing for everybody isn't it you know mm. and if if you've got those people in america that are like only drawn to harley brand like i've definitely met people that and you know we because we are a little bit can be a bit narrow focused as well you know that that people that are like um they're not really bike riders but they love a harley you know and they love the look of a harley well if you kind of you know over time drag a few of them people into more of motorcycling whether that's adventure bikes or 
or you know dirt bikes or sports bikes or whatever I, like that's always a plus isn't it well it's quite interesting as well because i do you know i i always think of america as like this really big market and when we were talking to when we did that podcast with um mm. jeremy from alt rider he really described america as like not a motorcycle market like the rest of the motorcycle market and outside of motocross doesn't really have any time for the states like they don't sell that many bikes there they don't bring a lot of european and other bikes in that we get and they kind of get yeah. a few because they've got bad like different emissions regulations but w when you look at how many bikes harley sells especially in the states that is a massive market do you know that it's it's europe again but just nobody's tapped into that. It'll be really interesting to see if that Harley is cool enough in Harley people's minds to sell a ton of them. And you start to drag that whole culture into like wider motorcycling. Because to me as well, it almost feels like there's like, I mean, motorcycling is really split industry already. Do you know, you have all these segments that uh, the lines don't get crossed that much. Like dirt bike guys, might think sports bikes are cool but it, there's not a huge amount of crossover even in dirt bikes there's not that much crossover and so it'll be really interesting to see in future whether that it, it drags harley drag customers with them i suppose is what i'm trying to say whether it, it's a good thing for all of motorcycling or this is just harley's like hail mary but it, it, you know the american motorcycle market like you say is strange and we know a few people that work in the industry there and they you know everyone always says that it, it it's kind of a a small market and it it's it's weird because it does sort of i suppose underperform compared to percentage of population compared to europe which is always ironic because it seems like they've got all the space in the world to ride motorbikes but the pure numbers are still strong because even though percentage-wise they might run smaller numbers, they've still got 330 million people in the country. So it still is, a you know, whichever way you look at it, it still is a big market. Um, but, yeah, the balance of what bikes and what models are, are sold there are, are quite different to Europe and quite different, again, to Australia. And so... You know, I think the way the different manufacturers look at America is quite different. And so, you know, we're we're sort of looking at, um, you know, the manufacturers we're interested in, the European manufacturers mostly, BMW and KTM, um, you know, they take a they they take a different, you know, different view of how they attack the States, don't they? And, you know, I know from BMW's side, it's like, it's a market they always want to do really well in and grow in, um, but it's a market that's quite difficult for that to happen for them because because they're you know they're they're only bike you know the two the two areas that seem to be still big in America, you know they've ne they've never been strong on sports bikes ironically, um, you know the two things that are big is the Harley Cruiser thing and supercross <laughs> motocross yeah you know, actual competitive dirt bikes and you see it even with ktm like ktm sends entirely different dirt bike range to the states to what they sell here in europe like they, they even their model names are even different you know yeah, 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 yeah. Um, for sure they are yeah and uh and i i don't know this for sure but i'm kind of guessing they probably don't even really care about the 
whether you know what they're doing with the venture bikes in America, their efforts in America are all faced around, you know, are all focused around motocross and supercross. And if they sell a few adventure bikes off the back of that, great. But it's not their, you know, it's not their driving force for sure. No, and you can see that because even though it, I mean, I don't know what the figures are on this, but it, yeah, it's an it's an interesting conversation. I I don't know. I'd have to see the figures, but I did just look up Harley sale figures, which for me are also really interesting, and it kind of starts to explain why they're pushing this so hard because do you know uh, it became even more apparent obviously talking about ktm there's a there's a they have a different relationship with their bikes and the way they plug bikes and what they're trying to achieve with them but the the ktm 1290 launch video what it was very enjoyable to watch it was very good chris birch showing if you haven't seen that as well definitely worth just popping onto youtube because some of the riding in it the coolest shot was the one where he just clips the tree that was like phenomenal the precision man like i mean maybe no one else cares about that but i was like oh that's so good you just ah oh, i got really excited about it um but their their relationship with their launch video was so different the, the ktm one i don't know it probably costs like it's probably like two dudes and chris birch for a day to film that video maybe two at most um it all looked like it was in his local region but i l just looked up the the harley sales figures there's two really big things here. Firstly, their sales in the US in the last four years have dropped by 45,000 units, which that is a problem. That's a third. They're down a third in four years. Uh, I'm sure when you're in sales, you measure that differently to make it look less bad. But, you know, I don't know. <laughs> the, but that that's basically it. They're down year on year on year for four years. And last year, they sold 100,000 units in the States alone. So they topped. Right. But it's still, you know, they still shipped 180,000 units worldwide. Yeah. But it's really interesting because I've never seen, I've said it's really interesting a lot, but I, I've never seen another motorcycle manufacturer put that much effort into any launch video and Harley, maybe because of the, the stuff that comes around them as a brand, you know, the shops and the, the clothing sales and just all of that merchandise side is so big that they can afford to do this. But I can't imagine a BMW sanctioning a multi-million pound launch video for a motorbike. Or maybe they have and it was just terrible and I didn't pay attention to it. But it, like that video was incredible. And it, it's just, mm, I don't really know where I'm going with that. I did have a point. It's left me in my small brain, but it, it is incredible. You should watch it and then marvel at how cheesy it is, where they got that much coal from. And yeah, I'm excited to write it as well because there is, there is also some quite interesting innovation. Obviously we were talking about the, the, the weight of bikes, but this, this, adaptive ride height thing where it gets lower when you pull up that's quite cool i don't know that i like there's part of me that goes do you know uh, and i i think we all do this with new technology to a degree where i'm like what do you need that for we've all been riding tall bikes for ages but a bit like auto sag or abs being good maybe that's one of those things where you get on it you're like that was nice I mean, it, it, it's it's a, it, it's I don't know. It's kind of a strange one to me because why do it that way round? You, you know, like that's my only question. 
because they're, they're making out like that's a sort of brand new clever technology with the ride height adjustment in the suspension but it's not you know there's obviously other people have been doing that and you know but I'm, i think that their point is it's I'm, a world first because it does it when you pull up it deliberately yeah, drops but, but in my head that's the wrong way around like the i'm just obviously going to talk from a bmw point of view but like with the gs and if you've got a low chassis gs it starts off low and then as you ride away it sorts out the ride height to make the suspension work properly so i'm like i'm a bit confused why it's better the other way around to suddenly sink down as it reminds me of a citroen cx from 1963 or something ouch <laughs> yeah I, I i don't i don't like you say need to ride it and understand it but i kind of don't get what's new and innovative and what did someone post on an internet post the other day if you if you if you want to come up with a new innovative idea look at an old bike someone put some pictures of a 1980 uh, Mako with air shocks on it when everyone's suddenly starting to talk about air suspension this year as the new greatest thing. Yes. So, yeah, these things aren't always as new as people claim them to be. Um, but yeah, making them work is maybe a different story. Making that old technology actually work is a new thing. I've, so, uh, we'll see. You can tell us all about it when you ride it. When I ride it, well, that is an exciting point. I have, I believe, unless something changes and I upset someone, there is a picture of a Citroen CX I just had on the screen, but I couldn't resize it. My my computer skills are too poor. Uh, to uh, so it was mostly just most of the screen with you over the top, which was strange. Um, but uh, yeah, my place on the launch has been confirmed. Apparently, uh, we'll see. I'm skeptical of these things, but um, so. The other things that are interesting about this Harley are the price. The price is, well, it depends how much money you've got. It's for, it's from 14 grand, which is, it's a GS, basically. I was quite surprised by that because I, again, not being a Harley person, went and looked at the prices of some Harleys the other day and then vomited in my face and left again because it was gross. You know, they they're, some of them are 30,000 pounds I mean, that's like, <laughs> that's three transits. That's how I'm phrasing this these days. Uh, <laughs> Not new transit though, is it? <laughs> one, and a half, one and a half new transits. Uh, and then obviously the other thing that came out, as I said before, that KTM Super Adventure this I think is also really interesting on a, on a minute adventure bike nerd level. They made some changes to the chassis and the way it is intended to be. And you kind of pointed this out a few years ago that you, before it started happening, what you saw with the adventure bike market was that we were going to start to get way more uh, nuanced with the direction of bikes. And it's started to happen already. We've seen it. Uh, and KTM, I think are the pioneers of this in terms of, pushing adventure bikes to be much more in a box so you have your r version which is 100 percent off-road and they they kind of experimented with the 790 by spending a lot of money on suspension and found out it works really well and if you give people good suspension they'll buy it because it's good which is i'm amazed it took a manufacturer that long to figure that out uh but the 1290 has started to follow that same direction now there's obviously a bit of this where this is like a, an update so they're not a ground up rebuild so there's a lot of things that have to stay the same the engine is the same 
ish. The chassis is the same ish. You know, they're working around the same platform. The the general outline hasn't changed because it's a big deal to change it. But the tank has. And it's gone with that rally bike style tank, which I think is really cool. You know, it work I mean, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think it works super well on the 790. I like that it's a bit like a GS, but less expensive in that if you crash, it doesn't like smash your bike up. Because that's one of the best things about GS is if you crash, you hit the crash bar on the floor rather than all of the side of your very expensive adventure bike. But yeah, it also totally. makes yeah. them handle super well. Like, and Chris yeah. Birch is obviously his, you know, that video he did, obviously he's not going to be in that video and go, oh, do you know what, mate? This bike's a bit shit. He's not going to do that, <laughs> is he? It's not what they're paying him for. <laughs> and they'd probably edit it out. But the one thing he said was that that change in chassis and, and bodywork made it handle way better on the road. And now when I... I I mean, I'd, I probably like the 790 more on the road than you did. I don't remember what you said about it. Um, no, neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> but from... Um, well, it, 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 yeah, like it, it's a great example of what you said of kind of getting a bit specialised, isn't it? Because the, the two 790s are quite different. And getting you more know, different, the, do you yeah, know? Yeah, the road version is really good on the road, but it's a little bit weaker you know, it, it's definitely gone like much that more, more that way, and then off-road one's kind of great hard off-road bike, but then probably loses out a bit on the road. Well, I you know, but, but it's, it's interesting because I would have argued that I I think that that stock 790 Adventure R. Maybe I'm not like a road specialist. I think it's amazing on the road, and I think it feels so yeah. good because the weight is so low. Do yeah, you know? totally. Yep. And then for them to have repeated that, I want. I don't know. They just updated the S version as well. Um, let me have a look. I didn't check this out before. This is a very unprofessional mid-podcast uh, Googling. It just sounded like you drank tea, but you didn't. I'm very confused, Dad. I didn't. Um, yeah, so it, it kind of looks like they haven't changed that on the new... Wait, is this an old article I've just clicked on? Oh, yeah, it's from 2018. <laughs> no wonder it looks ah oh, yeah so on the new 1290 adventure s as well they have the same tank design obviously that would make sense they've moved that tank lower as well and i wonder if that also dramatically improves that bike's handling on the road because you're not trying to deal with that fuel being so high and sloshing around as much yeah. undoubtedly interesting undoubtedly yeah and and you know it, i mean that's why they came with the 790 wasn't it really because the 1290, even though it's like uh, got that sort of KTM heritage look and style with dirt bikey, when you ride it, it's a big bike. You know, it's, it's, it is like, a, you know, it's for me, it's always like that comparison GS to GSA, um, you know, and the GSA is a fantastic bike. When we get that fortunate opportunity, we've got that you chop and change between them all the time. The GSA is a big bike, you know, and it works incredibly well, but it's big and they you know, the, the big KTM is the same. You know, you get on it and there's a lot of bike beneath you and around you and and it's a great bike, but it can also be, like, quite a handful, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I had, I had the chance to ride one uh, a few years ago with a, and a few other guys were on the smaller KTMs and you sort of suddenly noticed it. It's a, 
it's big you know it's awesome but it's big yeah in the same way that like a gsa is big like super capable but it when it when it get when it catches you you know do you know you you know sudden exactly yeah and that's where for me the 790 is such a nice bike because uh, you know we talked about weight at the start and not really caring about anything other than how it rides but if you take 60 kilos off a bike you it's gonna feel way better do you know so the other interesting thing as well that is the norden you know the the husky one is coming the 801 the 890 sorry is here super good response everybody loves 890 engine i haven't ridden it yet but it's on the list the norden is coming and mcn just i feel like we're doing a news segment here but that's not the point the point of this conversation (laughs) is they gave it an adventure bike to alan cathcart to ride secretly and then do a first ride review oh sorry um of the new adventure prototype before it gets published that's probably just one of those things where like we'll keep a bit of hype about it we'll give it to this legendary journalist alan cathcart now i don't know alan very well but he is definitely a legend of I've only met him once, in fact. He's a legend of motorcycle testing in the UK, as in he's been around forever. He's got that legendary... I mean, you and, probably and know way more about him than I do. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been involved, um, I believe, in a lot of uh, development riding and test ride, actual test riding for manufacturers. Certainly he was back in the day, you know, so that's kind of where his credibility lay. And, mm. and I believe he's very, very good on a track for that reason you know he's he's a guy that you could give a track bike to and he could actually assess it rather than the rest of us that going on a track bike and go yeah that's possible i've ridden before if you were given a motor gp bike for example <laughs> I, d- I don't know what i'd do with it i'd spend i'd <laughs> yeah. spend the whole time figuring out why the handlebars were so low <laughs> yeah but i think he's a, that that's my memory of him anyways that he's that guy you know he used to be the the guy that would always be on a prototype or pre-production or something special, you know? Yeah. So there is the Norden for those of you that haven't seen it before. I'm sure you have as well. I'm very excited about it, mostly because it looks like the future and I like that direction with Husky, but it's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that about Alan, that he was, he was the advent, was the test guy and whatever, because it's interesting. Anyway, And and more the question was about the process of the people that test adventure bikes and whether there's any validity. Do do you know, we have, we talked about this kind of dissection of the direction of these bikes and who buys them and what they're using them for. But like an eight, and this probably comes back to an article that I won't, mention the journalist a journalist is a loose term um but he tested a 701 a few years ago he went on the press launch tested a 701 and basically the the summation of his review was it was tall and it scared me touching the floor but he's you know he that same journalist came on a press launch you ran for bmw a few years earlier and he'd never been off-road before and it was on a 250 kilometer off-road test he 
and and I like my memory of Alan. The test we went on was an adventure bike test, and the off road portion for him was like he wasn't in my group, but I remember him basically saying, "I can't ride off road." Yeah. So what do you have to say about a bike when like I I get the the the, the, the viewpoint of a beginner what's this bad but i've seen this yeah oh this is just passed to me um i get the viewpoint of someone being like a beginner ish off-road and saying yeah this bike works for me this bike doesn't work for me this is why it's tall it's heavy it's light it scared me it didn't scare me like quite simplistic approaches whereas like maybe my analysis is much more like the compression uh when you hit a bump too hard is a little bit weak and it blows through them do you know they have their validity, but if you can't ride off road, no, I think I yeah, I think I think the, the point there is that that's about the uh, journalistic integrity and the honesty of of what you're testing and and where your levels at and what the point is of what you're telling the consumer and the the problem happens when the journalists I'm going to use that term very loosely and that's happening more and more for me nowadays with with uh influencers as the as the world likes to call them but Ooh, you know careful. when, when i cross that bracket here you, you have <laughs> but you know when the story becomes about the per, you know the person writing the story's ego rather than telling the consumer the story and you know that's i'm not i'm not knocking influencers there because they're you know there's good you know there's honest and, and confused egotistical people in that world as there was in journalist world and that example you just gave is a great example of where you know the, the journalist doesn't want to sort of put their own failings in the story so they they write the, the story from like an egotistical point of view that i can i can ride an off-road motorbike and this one's just not good because i can't ride it as against exactly how you described it i'm a beginner and for me as a beginner this bike had these pluses and these minuses and that that's that's the the essence of the story because we've had it the other way around as well we've had it with um i can't remember the guy's name at the, oh, off the top of my head at the moment either but um the irish journalist has come a few times on launches that we've run and um you know he's a very inexperienced off-road rider as well um you know really really good road racer very ex inexperienced off-road but you know he comes and tells the the launch story as he sees it with you know with his cards on the table and open and honest about his you know his relevance and then if he wants to write you know if he's writing a bit more about what it's like for the more experienced person then you know he'll he'll get that nod from one of the other journalists that he trusts that's a bit more honest and that that's more the essence of the problem for me and that's why when you you know as a consumer you read those articles or those tests i think you've got to read them with that you know, with that um, uh, interpretation, you've got to kind of try and work that out for yourself. Are you reading the, you know, are you reading the test from the person that's giving that, um, you know, that open opinion and is in the, you know, the, we, we always tr used to try and do it. And we, you know, we did it with the last couple of um, uh, comparison events you did where we try and make sure we've got a you know a spectrum of riding experience and abilities in the test so that you've got and that. preferences i think that's important and, and because this it's impossible to be like a, on a different note, it is impossible to be impartial of course it is do you know um and uh 
you know, we, we, we've had, we had it, you know, in proper dirt bike world as well. I remember one launch that I went on a long time ago, 10 years ago. And, um, you know, the, the, the venue that we went and tested those dirt bikes in was all laid out by a guy that was five times world champion and, uh, had no experience of, of, uh, running tests for journalists and he made it like a, a world champion extreme enduro course and there was only like you know i can't even remember there was only like five of us from all the worldwide journalists that could even get around the track let alone like assess the bike because most of the time you spent your time terrified that you were about to drop off some cliff into a rock field and so you know you're in survival mode rather than assessing the bike mode well i've seen that but i've seen that like that's an interesting point that you raise i've seen that happen it doesn't happen so much on street tests because like street riding is technically not that difficult everyone can get around i've seen that happen multiple times over on dirt bike tests like 50 percent of the dirt bike tests i've been on there's been like experienced off-road riders that were not good enough to deal with the track no, but in I, front of I guess the point I was getting to there was the, the problem then became when you then went back home and read the write-ups of some of those journalists and there were some write-ups where they went dude they took us on this really gnarly thing and this happened and that happened and it was difficult to tell you what I thought about this part of the bike because <laughs> I was just surviving yeah but in this situation the bike worked awesome you know there mm. were there, there was that kind of test and then there was the other kind of test where the journalists went there and went oh this, bike, this bike's rubbish it couldn't do any of this stuff what I actually meant was I couldn't do any of this stuff, you, you know, mm. and and I I don't know for sure, but I guarantee, well, I guarantee, I, I'm sure when you talk, I've heard Chris talk a few times when he's been on sports bike launches, it does happen, especially when they go to a track, you know, because they go to a track and then the same thing happens with the journalists that the egos come out and, you know, there's there's the guys that have done seasons of road racing and there's the guys that are just road riders and. And you, you know, the same thing. The same thing happens, and mm. that's why I say when you read that stuff yourself on the, on the on the interweb world or in a magazine or wherever. You know, I think you've got a. You know, you've got to try and work that out for yourself a little bit. It's a shame of, that as the reader you have to work that out. Like it, it's, it, a, it's it's a shame it, that there isn't like more it, openness. But the re- and the only reason I bought this up was because, it, it. I mean, when you read Alan's piece, like he doesn't really say a lot because he didn't ride it for very long. You said it kind of rides nice and it's a bit softer and plusher than an 890 uh, Adventure R, even though it's basically the same bike. They're like they've gone with that a slightly more cushy route, which is interesting that they've done that with Husky because you would think they would pitch, but then I suppose KTM's like ready to race. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's essentially the same bike when you look at it, you know. Um, and, and But the only reason I brought it up was just because my knowledge of him is only from what I've met him and seen him do is that he was, you know, scared of off-road. And then he's like the guy writing this report on what is ultimately going to be like a really niche adventure bike that's probably aimed at people who are genuine genuine people that want to ride off-road like that that is the reason you really buy a 790 adventure you don't buy one i don't think at least to cruise around london it wouldn't be my bike of choice for for recommending that you know even if you're going to buy an adventure bike to do that i'd probably just be like a tenere it's it's going to be better for that purpose it's going to be a bit more rounded if you're buying an 890 husqvarna or 901 husqvarna norton it's because you want to like you want to go and ride it 
well, you want to stand out, but you want to go and ride it off-road. Do you know? I, I think, anyway. And it was interesting that that's the person commenting on that bike in a world-first exclusive, not, I don't know, someone who's not myself, obviously, but, like, someone who's in that position. E even at MCN, Michael Guy would be more qualified to talk about that bike. Do you know? Super yeah. good rider, off-road, capable yeah. as hell. Yeah sometimes gets a bit enthusiastic about bikes that doesn't need to be enthused about. But do you know that, you know, he's qualified for purpose. Alan Cathcart, track rider, scared of dirt. Yeah. Or, or unnamed other journalist, not journalist, complained that the side stand was too long on the 701 and it made it hard to get on. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> that that yeah. was my conversation. Because again, like obviously I have this privileged position where I can get on my high horse and rant about it because I am experienced in that world. That's my specialty. I've put something up on screen here as well, which has been here for minutes, which I haven't got around to talking about yet. You can't see it because nah. I'm, I'm not intelligent enough to show you what I'm showing them. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my point is like, obviously I'm in a privileged position where I can get on my high horse about this because I can ride off road pretty good. And, uh, I think I can probably voice an opinion about this and this other person who is obviously quite well-known and experienced journalist, but you know, gray area. Interesting. Again, lost my point of where I was going with that. I'm going to quickly send you a picture on Skype. No one knows if I can open, you can open this. Have you seen this? You don't even know how to open it, do you? nothing's appeared in the anywhere. chat in the chat of skype we might cut this bit out <laughs> uh, apparently i'm still stuck in uh settings in the chat okay let's have a look in the chat is nada nothing in the chat ah <sighs> Oh, it's because I haven't sent it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It looks like a circuit board. <laughs> there. Ah, it opened up. Have you seen Amazing. this? I have not seen this. Okay. So I'm going to put another. We'll, uh, we'll the tires and the terrain are a little bit confused. <laughs> the tires and the terrain are confused. But. I'm not, I'm not sure if this is like an official BMW thing or if this is someone else's idea because I've also never seen Hankook tires. I don't think it is. I think it's by a guy called Niraj Javali. I hope I didn't murder that too much. That's hilarious. It's a, a BMW-esque concept motorcycle. Although I'm going to go that he is just an independent designer. What's with the um, what's with the extension to the sump at the bottom? That's but more interestingly, <laughs> this is an electric motorcycle con concept. BMW looks like an X thousand. It's got some crazy things going on in this concept. Like this is super futuristic. I'll send you the article afterwards. It's got a drone with alert mode to keep an eye for wild animals love it <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and the drone comes out of the backpack of the it literally looks like something out of a sci-fi film and then <laughs> they've photoshopped at the bottom on do you know 
like a concept photo which looks like it was stolen from the Ducati school based on where it is because at the Ducati school they cut their track into the grass yeah. I'll put that up on screen now as well Mo- I mean this is me being like extra nerdy there we go I've managed to blow up the whole screen as well but yeah there we go Alpine stars up interesting riding position yeah so there you go what do you think about drones uh Apparently, battery range is not a problem because service hubs in remote areas will provide you with swappable batteries and travel essentials, which kind of removes the like risk factor, doesn't it, a little bit? I have no idea what you're currently talking about. Oh, this is an electric bike concept that someone has come up with. It's presented like it's BMW. I don't think it is BMW. I think this is just one guy who's really good at like 3D renders. Um. Because the Hancock even mo- make motorcycle tires. I don't think so. Um, no idea. But yeah, there you go. That was the end note to talk about the things that are happening on the internet. Less controversial this week. More just commentating on the world. Uh, yeah, there we go. That's it. That's all was I've that, got. That wasn't a segue into your electric bikes then. <laughs> electric bike? What electric bikes? You've got electric uh, battery swap. Electric ah, swap. the battery swap thing. Obviously, this is like the biggest news that's happened all week. We don't even talk about the news, but yeah, that that is quite cool. By the way, I think that the four four of the biggest manufacturers have agreed to start working on a, an electric battery standard. So you can swap them all. I suppose the only issue that comes with this, swappable batteries, great idea from electric motorcycle, I think for scooters. I, but surely in like, in a, a more performance orientated motorcycle, you then limit this, you take up a lot of space with the swappable bit because I would imagine that the individual units can only then be so heavy because you have to be able to pull them out. If you make them like 40 kilos each, well, I can't well, bicep curl forty kilos. That, that, that's so. kind of one of the that's kind of one of the points on that um, articles I read. Anyways, that um, you know because there then becomes an infrastructure of um, swappable batteries at, at lots of locations that the range becomes less of an issue because there's always a petrol station within a within a distance, mm. so you can have the base unit battery as a smaller unit than they're trying to achieve now, for ah, example, okay. arguably, because um, there's always a new petrol tank, you know. Mm. Um, I, I, that's kind of one of the plus points that I read anyway. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's obviously great, you know, that, that, that people, especially four manufacturers or five manufacturers like that, working together to try and, to try and uh, you know, solve the challenges that are coming in the next eight or nine years for motorcycling because the car world's a long way ahead aren't they of motorcycle world from that point of view and that's you know that's potentially a threat to motor we were talking about it with the dakar situation weren't we with you and chris where you know that's a that's a risk to motorcycling is that cars are quite clearly going to be racing electric or hydrogen or whatever it is within the nine-year window that european government's sort of setting targets for motorcycling's like got a bit of work to do to catch up with that yeah for sure so so it's kind of great that they're you know that they are working together to tackle it i mean the thing the things that are always still big question marks to me is you know is it the is it the right solution like for for all for all the electric stuff like the performance has got to be 
it's got to be led by performance because there's not re- there's not a genuinely really green solution there is there with going to electric bikes in my mind because you're still making all these batteries for a start out of lithium at the moment and um uh you know there's not so much of that in the ground and we we're crazily digging that up as quick as we were trying to dig coal up 100 years ago the, um, i suppose the only thing with a lithium battery i might be wrong about this but once that lithium is in a battery it can be put into another like it's not a it's not an unreusable resource sure but it's not it's not massively green to produce those batteries or dispose of those batteries no and, obviously not and no. uh and you know you've still got to keep producing and making the electricity you've just moved the the point of manufacture of the electricity out of sight out of mind no but yeah. you can produce you know we're starting to prove that now that you can produce electricity in healthier ways than burning coal Yes, yeah, and and of course, you know that technology's got to start somewhere and and move somewhere. So my my point is, anyway, I think I think it's great that, that those manufacturers are working together and that there is a there is a you know a plan being created by some people somewhere. There's no question because the motorcycle industry definitely needs to kind of catch up. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's there's still a lot of challenges to overcome there, isn't there? And like you say, in the competition side like a, especially some of the manufacturers at the moment you know they're they they've talked a lot about you know the improvements in technology for electric vehicles the improvements in performance is centered around like their proprietary knowledge that they've got of batteries so then their proprietary technology and knowledge that's their performance advantage mm. is now not there yeah i suppose so, and i i, I yeah. suppose yeah i i mean it'll be interesting to see when those bikes start to become more prevalent where the significant differences are obviously handling is still yeah. going to be one but like yep. maybe do you know instead i i can still imagine that the motors are going to be drastically different in the technology and the the directions they go hi mother she is crept into the background there <laughs> um, you just walked in shot just for your knowledge it's, it's no it's not a problem to us it's just for you to know uh yeah so um what was i saying yeah so the motor difference will i mean it's impossible to guess where that's going to go because yeah. i do you know i can well see that actually the difference really becomes the manufacturer's capacity to to control what the motor does not the actual motor itself if that makes sense yeah do you know along the same along the lines of like the controller the throttle response the power delivery rather than my eye is giving me a nightmare here hey and you know like you said the the if the battery units are the same across the manufacturers does like does uh ktm put two of the batteries like that and bmw put two of the batteries like that for a no. different handling characteristic for I, example maybe but <laughs> that would be just <laughs> A box of battery maybe, maybe, setup. Maybe they do produce t- totally different handling characteristics by how you do that stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah like- totally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it'd be very interesting. Um, I, I, I want. I mean, I don't know about this because obviously we we've uh, a friend of ours, Chris Northover. Some of you may know him uh, from such TV shows as Bike World. Um, but he uh, he had a, a little lipo battery accident a few years ago. Uh, <laughs> where he tried to set fire to his house by overcharging an old lipo battery um 
but it was in uh, what happens if you hit one of those batteries because when they you know you talk about making it a boxer is that a problem Maybe I'm, you know, I'm not an engineer, so this is a bit reductive of me to say, and then the engineers are going to be like, you're an idiot. But Maybe that's your next podcast. Is we do it outside and we'll get some lithium batteries. And just we'll start just hammering them really and, yeah. see, and see if they explode. Good show. See how many people turn. You might, you might become an internet sensation really quickly if we do that. <laughs> For one video only, and then my subscriber count goes back through the floor. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> you'll only end up back where you start. Um, yeah, so uh, that's an interesting thought process as well. I wonder if that's a dangerous thing, because that is quite a good idea in terms of creating a handling characteristic if you mount the batteries in. Because when you talk about motorcycle, this is where I don't know if that standard will go across the industry because if you wanted to produce like an 890 adventure or a motocross bike and you have like a standard fit battery when you could be putting that battery lower in the bike to create a better handling characteristic is that then impossible interesting creates some challenges but maybe that's where that with them working together and not pulling an off-the-shelf standard like the the one that already exists what what is it the scooter based one which i had up and now i've lost Basically, there is a standard battery that uh, they're using a lot for scooters already, where it's literally like like a power you know pack that, that plugs in and pulls out. That is for cleverer people than us to work out, though, isn't it? And people that are focused on it. Cause That's not it, how podcasts it, it, work, Dad. You're meant to argue about these things and solve the world's no, no, problems. No, no, I am, but you just didn't let me finish my sentence. <laughs> you know, because in some in some ways it isn't any different to the internal combustion engine, is there? There's some things that are fixed that they can't change. You need a crankshaft. You need a petrol tank. Do you know, like, but but those things over the last hundred years, people have found very very different ways of of putting those same essential elements into into a motorcycle i don't know you're going to say crankshafts are all different sizes and batteries aren't but, but that's well i was about i was about to say everyone but bmw i was about to say everyone but bmw has those elements and bmw just do what they want with them and hope it works sometimes <laughs> you know, 450 and, you know, there are certain things aren't they that that you know ha- that are always there you've always got a piston you've always got a crankshaft you know you're so wise you are true there's completely correct those batteries by the way are called gogoro and yamaha have also already used them in their electric scooter that they produce there we go nice so that was that i think that is probably we've waffled enough about electric scooters and my my electric scooter battery knowledge just bored everyone so there we go that is probably that it's been a pleasure nice to sweet nice to chat to you father um, indeed i'll speak to you soon (laughs) cheers bye cheers bye